this is Paul James Caden, one of your co-hosts for the podcast, People Under the Stairs. And this is Stan Wangland, the other half of the amazing duo of the People Under the Stairs. And we're hoping that you'll tune in and listen to our wonderful podcast. Hey, Paul, tell the folks some of the things that we talk about in the podcast. We talk about a wide array of subjects, the paranormal, UFOs, missing 411, even such things as some of the conspiracy theories out there that are wild, things that are happening in the news and our world. If it's strange, if it's weird, if it bears talking about, we'll cover it on the show. Yeah, and we do it from a really balanced perspective. Uh, we just don't, uh, you know, uh, come up with something, throw it on the wall and see if it sticks. We try and have, uh, you know, the actual facts of what's going on with interesting people as guests on the show, you know, different authors, uh, and, you know, allowing them to tell their story uninterrupted and, uh, you know, in a full and uh, interesting format. So you can get into anything from artificial intelligence to uh, people who say they've been abducted and been on a flying saucer. So if you enjoy those topics, we hope you'll give us a listen and join us under the stairs. Yeah, and uh, for those of you who regularly listen to podcasts, even those of you who are new, we're on all the podcasting platforms and we're very, very easy to find. So give us a listen. Welcome to Paranormal Heart, a place where people can talk about their paranormal experiences. With your host, Cat Ward, along with a special segment, Oddities with John Mallard. Welcome back to Paranormal Heart. Thanks so much for tuning in again. As you already know, you can find us on the second and last Sunday of each month on Podbean and YouTube. You can also find us on sparkradionet.org, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, Podchaser, and anywhere you find fine podcasts. It's absolutely beautiful here in the Ottawa Valley the past few days. It's amazing. Everyone's out and about even more. It's getting warmer every day, and things are starting to slowly open up again. More businesses, parks, and trails. Um, the complete fire ban has been lifted, which is great because we can now have backyard fires again. Let me know how things are in your area. Is life slowly starting to get back to normal? This episode's shout-out goes to my listeners in Japan. I appreciate your support and hope you're all doing well in Japan. Our resident oddball is back this episode with Oddities with John Mallard. What weird stories have you found for us this time, John? Hey, oddballs, welcome back. It's time for more oddities, strange facts that are very true about an odd, odd world here on Paranormal Heart. 
And you know what? Let me tell you something. The world is full of filthy liars. There, I said it. It's true. Filthy liars. They're terrible people. Think what you can tell what's in the products you buy by reading the labels. Let me tell you something. They're full of lies. Think again. Here are four examples that show how companies stretch the truth to increase their sales. Yeah, that's right. I'm busting on some companies right now because people have have these labels and and, and it's all lies. It's BS. It ain't true. Anyway, I think you guys are really going to like this because this is actually kind of cool. <laughs> it's like, what? Really? Anyway, here it goes. Fresh is the new Frozen. <laughs> the label says, this turkey, never frozen. So you assume it's fresh turkey and it's never been frozen, right? But actually, according to government rules, to be called fresh, in quotation marks, a turkey has to be stored at above 26 degrees Fahrenheit, which is the freezing point for poultry. But the label still doesn't have to say frozen unless it was stored at zero degrees Fahrenheit or below. So a company can legally say it was never frozen, even if it was stored at one degree Fahrenheit. You lying son of a gun. Imagine. Poor turkey froze to death. <laughs> okay, so one of my favorite characters ever is Dale Gribble. And he is from King of the Hill. And he is just the best character ever. And every single time I think of him, I think of what he does for a living, which is kill bugs. He's a bug killer. And, uh, yeah. Anyway, this one's about pesticide ingredients. The label says pesticide ingredients, then list them. So you assume all the ingredients, particularly the toxic ones, you know, that might be harmful, are on the list, obviously, right? Guess what? According to a recent study, over 600 toxic chemicals included in pesticides aren't disclosed on the brand label. And why not? Well, under federal regulations, these chemicals don't have to be listed if they're inert ingredients or chemicals that assist in killing bugs or weeds but aren't the active agent of destruction. Why aren't they listed? Well, according to some pesticide companies, they say they need to protect their trademarked secrets. Well, there you go. <laughs> ah. So if the label says on something you buy, recycled paper, what are you going to think? Well, I'm going to assume it's been used by a consumer, uh, like, you know, newspaper, office paper, cardboard, etc., then sent to a recycling center and then turned back into paper again, like recycled, right? Well, actually, the only time you can be sure that's true is that the label says post-consumer. Otherwise, it could be something else. Paper manufacturers dump paper from the mill floor back into the paper bulb as well, and the government allows them to call this paper recycled <laughs> oh, you lying son of a... Ugh. And then there was this one. This one ruined my life today. Because you know what? Even as a young child, until this very day today, that's right. I, I lift weights and stuff like that. And sometimes, listen, I can't get my macros, man. I can't get it in. So you know what? I'm going to grab a junk food. I'm going to grab a junk food. I got to eat something. And my go-to thing is chicken nuggets. Because guess what? At least there's protein in there, right? There's meat, right? Wrong. The label says chicken nuggets, so you assume it's chicken meat. Well, according to the National Consumer League, when convenience foods such as chicken frankfurters, chicken nuggets, turkey bologna, or anything else are processed, there's no telling what's in them. Mechanically deboned poultry may contain bone fragments, marrow, kidneys, skin, and lungs as byproducts of the process. 
These byproducts are not listed as ingredients, though. So consumers don't know what they're eating. Labeling requirements allow the poultry industry to hide behind a vague description of product as chicken meat. You freaking lied to me, man. You lied to me. You lied to me about chicken nuggets. I'm rotted. But you know what? pretty odd when you think about it, what these manufacturers get away with. You wonder what's in your coffee. You wonder what's, my God, you wonder what's in this podcast. Oh, COVID doesn't give you an earache or something. <laughs> Anyways, guys, hope I've ruined your lives too much. Back to you, Kat. Thanks so much, John. My guest this episode is a returning guest and a good friend. He's an author, poet, and folklorist. Please welcome back the crypto guru, Mr. Ron Murphy. Hello, Ron. Welcome back to Paranormal Heart. Hey, I am happy to be here. You have no idea how flattered I am to be on your show, Kat. Because not only are you one of the best in the paranormal business, but really you are one of the best, most genuine people I've ever met. So anytime you ask me to be on your program, I will jump to be here. Oh, thank you. I'm I'm actually blushing. (laughs) Oh, no, no, this is true. Look, we've we've had, you know, this this working relationship now for a while. We kind of hit the field together. You know, we have all these questions and everything. And, uh, you know, I'm a fan of your show. I listen to your show. I I like what you're putting out. I like the kind of the kind of realms that you delve into. So, yeah, really, I honestly, goodness, you're just one of my favorite people out there, Kat. Oh, thank you. You are too, because I wouldn't have you on otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate that, and Thank I you. think that uh, I think that your listeners actually appreciate the way you approach this subject matter as well. So, I think we're all very much uh, 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 we're all very lucky to have you as part of this uh, this this crazy paranormal world. Well, thank you. It is crazy indeed. <laughs> it is. It is. And now with everything shutting, see, because you know, I should have already been to a conference by now. That's the other thing that's starting to weigh heavy is because all these conferences now where I really get to meet people that listen to me mm-hmm. and want to write a lecture and talk to people, you know, all these things are now being canceled and it's a shame. So we have to turn to podcasts such as yours to really get our, our, our paranormal fix. And this is the way to do it. And uh, so I, I think that people do appreciate whenever they have something to listen to whenever it comes to this, because all the other outlets are, are really starting to dry up. You know, I did the um, the True Tales for Terror on the Travel Channel. And I assume you guys get the Travel Channel up there in Canada, correct? Yes, we do, but I don't subscribe to television, so I I don't get it. Yeah, so you're kind of, you're well. I'll tell you, um, for 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 the people that do subscribe to to, to some sort of television service, there is a plethora of networks out there that broadcast only paranormal stuff nearly 24 hours a day ad nauseum. You know, mm-hmm. and some of the programs are better than others. But uh, the program that I was involved with, um, you know, we probably should be working on season two by now, but everything is shut down. So everything is really kind of in a holding pattern right now. And uh, this is, you know, this is just a great way to discuss some of the things that everybody's been up to. I really hope that um, I'll be able to watch that show at some point. I hope it'll be uh, somewhere online that I'll be able to watch it because it really sounds fascinating. I really want to watch it. You know, it is. I, I, I'm I'm very happy to be a part of it. Um, I'm I'm quite proud to be part of it. As a matter of fact, um, it's well done. It has a good budget, so it's not like these other kind of programs that is just going on a on a shoestring type of uh, of, of backing. 
Um, so it looks good. It sounds good. Um, the research in it is, is, is quality research. Um, but uh, yeah, like I said, I think that the next year would have even been bigger and better. And we just have to keep our fingers crossed that all this stuff kind of goes by the wayside and everything gets back to normal again. Yeah, indeed. Are you able to talk a little bit about that show? Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, it's a vehicle for Robert England, you know, from Freddy Krueger mm-hmm. fame. Um, it's built around him. He's almost like a Rod Serling type character. Um, every program has three little um, episodes in it. And sometimes they talk about cryptids like Bigfoot or, you know, one uh, features a flying dragon um, and uh, a lot of ghost stories. Um, but they're all drawn from the headlines. Um, so these were all things that happened. Uh, some of them, you know, maybe 150 years ago, maybe, you know, less than that, but they're all drawn from newspaper accounts and they're kind of reenacted. And then they have, uh, people that are considered experts in the field commentate about it. And that's, that's, that's the job that I do on there. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. I like, I really like that approach. It seems a little different. It is. It's really different than anything that we see out there. Um, we get, you know, there, there's actors in it and they do, um, each episode is probably right around 16 minutes long, something like that. Um, so, uh, they deal with things like, like I said, hauntings. There was one, um, episode that featured, um, uh, uh, that took place in Canada, uh, that dealt with a Wendigo. Um, it's just really fascinating things. And to see, the headlines kind of brought to life in these reenactment vignettes. It's really cool to see. Are you able to tell us the name of the show and when it, when yeah. it will be on? Yeah, it's it, well, it's on now. Uh, oh, actually, okay. uh, it only has two more episodes left and the, the run will ah, be over. Yeah. So it's uh, called True Terror uh, with Robert England and it uh, airs on the Travel Channel on Wednesday nights. Oh, wow. I'll have to take a look. Maybe YouTube or somebody has it out there because, I, like I've mentioned to you before, I really, really would like to watch it. But, you know, I cut yep. the cable of quite a few years ago and I miss out on all these programs. Oh, no, I don't, I, I don't blame you for that. I um, mean, it's a shame yeah. that it's not on other, you know, more available type of programming. Um, but, yeah, um, it's, uh, it was uh, eight episodes. Um, and, uh, the seventh episode is on this Wednesday and the last episode is on next week. So it's almost all over now. Oh, wow. Already. Yeah. Yeah. Already. Ep- it went quick. How many episodes are you on? I'm on, I'm in, I'm in every single program, uh, but I'm in, uh, the majority of the episodes. So I'm usually on two episodes per show. Nice. Yep. So we get yeah, to see you. It was good. Yeah. And that was my first time to California to do this too. And I had to go out twice and uh, and I really enjoyed that kind of uh, um, experience as well too, because I've never had an experience like that before. Hmm. Now there is another program that I'm on, and it's a Canadian program that well, we don't get down here in the United States, and that's called uh, Red Earth Uncovered. If you've ever heard of that, um, that's put on by the First Nations uh, uh, people in Vancouver. I do believe. Mm-hmm. I do believe Vancouver. I could be wrong, but uh, it's. Uh, uh, um, it's hosted by Shayla Stonechild, and she does a really good job. But it's looking at the paranormal from a Native Amer- from a First Nations point of view, and most all the <laughs> stories are in uh, Canada. Um, the my the, the it appears I believe this May 
is whenever the season comes out that I will appear on. And then next season, next year for 2021, um, I'll be in many more episodes. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very proud. That's some of the best work that I've ever done uh, with those folks. And uh, so, yeah, Red Earth Uncovered, it's really, really a remarkable show to be a part of. Nice. Yeah, I think that's on oh, APTN? You are absolutely correct. That is right. That yeah. is right. Again, I don't get TV, so <laughs> I'll have to take a look. Maybe they have a website with their shows. I don't know. They do. They do. However, we can't play them down here in the States because there's some sort of agreement. So oh. you folks up there in Canada can get it, but I cannot. Oh, that's too bad. I mean, you're in it, and you can't get to watch it. I can get to watch it. I know. That's right. A sad thing about that, cat, but I guess that's the nature of the business. Yeah. You think because you're in it that they would send you uh, a copy or a link or something that enables you to watch yep. it? Well, I'm keeping my fingers crossed because um, I won't be on it until May. So maybe they'll, mm -hmm. you know, maybe they'll toss me a DVD or something like that. That'll be nice. It would mm -hmm. be. It would be. But um, it just goes to show how many people are interested in this field. Even those people that kind of scoff at it and laugh at it and brush it off. I think they'll still sneak a peek every now and then to see what's going on. My favorite thing is when people find out that uh, I'm into the paranormal, they'll say, oh, I don't believe in that. But then all of a sudden you'll hear them say, well, there was this one time. <laughs> oh, everybody has this. You know, there was this one time thing. Everybody has that. Yes. I'll be at conferences and people will have that. It happened to me all the time. Uh, one of my dear friends who was <clears throat> extremely, extremely skeptic, um, she told me that um, she was supposed to have lived in one of the, the most haunted houses in this one particular area. And, and she uh, it's now a historical site, but she lived in that house. And um, I said, did anything ever happen? She goes, nothing ever happened in that house. I lived there for 12 years. Occasionally a light bulb would blow out or occasionally a dish would fly out of the shelves, you know? So she would come <laughs> up with all these kind of poltergeist activities that were going on. Yeah. And uh, she, yeah, she just kind of uh, shrugged it off because aren't we kind of indoctrinated not to believe in this kind of yes. stuff, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, um, that's the problem. I mean, we are, are living with our eyes now closed, like unlike any other time in human history. Uh, we're supposed to be taught by science and we're supposed to be taught by, um, you know, really we're supposed to disregard the idea of superstition. But I think those people that really have their eyes open to all facets of the world, we see things really um, like they are. Uh, a lot of unexplained things are going on out there. A lot of things happen that aren't cataloged by science. Mm -hmm. And the reason science doesn't recognize it is because they simply cannot wrap their heads around it. Agreed. Um, it's just amazing how I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> oh, that's okay. <laughs> you know, this, ever, ever since the quarantine, this train of thought has been jumping the tracks a lot. So I we know. get we go off the roll a lot. So oh. yeah, there's no problem with that. Um, and I think that's just the nature of everything. I mean, everybody really, really, we are creatures of of um, community. We need socialization at mm -hmm. all times. And yep. that's really lacking now. But um, the one thing is, and then I've, I spoke about this in other programs, um, I do believe in the idea of the Gaia theory, that our world is a living, um, intelligent organism. I, I really do. And I, I don't think that that should sound too 
outlandish or too kind of new age. If we think that this world is kind of like a perfect biodome where everything can kind of live and, you know, reproduce and, you know, even death means new life and everything. Mm -hmm. I think that we have taken for granted that this earth really is our cradle, you know, um, and we have kind of destroyed it. There's a theory out there um, that uh, this virus that is affecting the entire world uh, was actually something that the rainforest produced to get rid of invasive species that was damaging it, and that invasive species happens to be us. Um, to think that the world that has so taken care of us is now kind of reacting to what we're doing is really, uh, it could become an awakening for us. Mm -hmm. I have no doubt in my mind that we will be able to conquer this and life will go on as normal. That's just what happens. There have been plagues throughout humanity. And if you look at the past and study the past, we'll see that this stuff does happen, you know. Um, but I think that we really re need to rethink things. Um, you know, you can see the skyline now in Los Angeles because the smog is down. Um, dolphins are returning to uh, the canals in Venice, something that mm -hmm. hasn't happened for years. Um, you know, the idea that we so affect this world and everything in it, uh, we've kind of taken it for granted. We have been the consumers. Uh, we What we produce usually harms everything around us. And I think that this is a, kind of a wake-up call, and the Earth just shrugged a little bit and trying to get this little parasite off of its back for a while. But I think we really do need to reevaluate the way we look at each other and the way we look at the world around us because we're all part of this, this infinite chain of being. My life impacts your life, and your life impacts you know, the grass that grows. It truly does. Everything, is, it, everything should be in perfect harmony. Everything should be in perfect synchronicity. We've decided as a human species – to step out of that synchronization. We've decided not to be a part of that natural frequency. And it's been to our detriment. Um, I mean, sure, we, we, we have, you know, automobiles and we could get from one end of the earth to the other in 18 hours on a plane. Um, but it's causing so much damage. And we really need to rethink how we view ourselves. Um, I love the idea, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, Native American philosophy that we look, we should look at this world as if we are borrowing it from our children, which we essentially are. You know, we're here for a very limited time, and we're going to have to leave something to future generations. And I really want to leave them something that they can be proud of, and they can utilize, and they can interact with. But you know, think about it this way: um, the things that has been going on right now. Um, you know, murders are down. We're treating each other a little bit better. Mm -hmm. um, the idea of, uh, you know, gas consumption is plummeting. Uh, you don't hear a lot about wars anymore. You know, any, we used to hear that all the time. Now we don't hear about that anymore. Um, I'm sure that, you know, poaching is way down. Um, the oceans are definitely attempting to repair themselves. Um, and I think that this is just good uh, for everything. It's kind of like a reboot, uh, so to speak. Um, and we really need to reevaluate how we are going to view ourselves in relation to the, uh, to the world around us. Agreed. Um, one of the things that I find fascinating, too, is my daughter was telling me the other day she was reading an article. I can't remember where it was, but there is a creature that they thought was extinct. They saw it out in the streets. And I can't remember yep. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's so it it's amazing. So I, I wonder if there's going to be, you know, however long we're going to be in quarantine around the world, maybe we'll find proof of actual cryptids. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, that, that's a good point that you make because a lot of people, whenever they think of cryptids, you automatically <laughs> think of things like the Loch Ness Monster or Bigfoot, mm -hmm. these big, you know, poster boys. But we have to understand that, you know, cryptids are also the thylacine, you know, the, the Tasmanian, uh, the Tasmanian um, uh, tiger there. Yes. And uh, other cryptids are like the ivory-billed woodpecker in Alabama, which has been seen as the passenger pigeon. They don't have to be these big outlandish type of figures. But wouldn't that be something that with this kind of settling, whenever the earth kind of settles? And, and, and to put this in perspective – if anybody goes out into the woods, you know, whenever you start walking around, you don't see anything. It's whenever you sit there for a few minutes, let your environment kind of get used to you being there. And that's whenever the squirrels come out. And that's whenever you hear, you know, these kind of new birds sing and you see, mm -hmm. you know, deer walking past you and everything. I think that's what's going to happen. If we let everything settle for a while, what might reappear again? You know, you might start seeing things that we thought were extinct kind of re-emerging because they think it's safe to come out. Exactly. Yeah. That and I like the, I love the idea that Bigfoot would be seen again. I mean, I think with, 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 with our parks closed and mm -hmm. with so many, so fewer people going outside, it might seem like it's a safe zone now. So we might be able to collect evidence like we've never collected before. Um, but we also have to take into consideration that if we do, Oh, I just lost you. Uh-oh. You know, oh, all part of this. I lost you for a second there, Ron. Oh, are you there? Yeah, I'm here, but I lost you for like uh, five seconds. But we're good. Okay. I think I had a call coming through, you know, how technology ah, works every now yes. and then. So, yeah. <laughs> I, you, everybody, you can hear me fine, though, now? Yes, I can hear you fine now. Uh, perfect, perfect. Yeah, but um, what I was saying, though, uh, losing my train of thought, what I was saying is that um, – uh, we really just need to consider how we treat the world around us or things will go further, further into hiding. Yes. Oh, I lost you again. Oh, oh now. You can you hear me now? Yes, I can. <laughs> perfect, perfect, perfect. <laughs> Skype. Yeah. yeah this, this, well, no, it's it's the working at home thing as well, too. I'm using mm -hmm. my phone and I have all my work stuff patched into this phone, too. So things yep. come through there all the time like that. That's all right. Mm. Keep going. <laughs> Okay. We're technical. good. Yeah, we're good. Yep. Okay. Good. Yep. Good. Good. I can hear you. Oh. Okay. Sorry, folks. We we're having some technical issues here with Skype, and uh, you know, technology sometimes is a great thing, and sometimes it bites you in the backside, eh, Ron? <laughs> it, it does, and that's the thing. Um, we talked about this earlier because what your listeners don't know is we attempted to do this earlier today, mm -hmm. and it didn't work. There was some some gremlins in the gearworks, yep. and that just happened again as well, too. So, hey, this is the nature, I think, of uh, people working at home and, you know, everything getting um, uh, overloaded and everything, but uh, I yep. apologize for that on my end as well. Oh, it's not your fault. No, so I'm, glad, no. I'm glad you're back, it's though. Just, yeah, it's a shame that we didn't, uh, you know, um, uh, support Tesla a little bit more because mm. Nikolai Tesla had all these grand ideas of linking the world together. And, uh, you know, he was talking about uh, something like the Internet, you know, 100 years before we even had the Internet. And it would mm -hmm. be so great if we were to listen to that guy. Uh, this world might be a completely different place. Oh, it sure would. You think anybody would ever uh, look more into his research and maybe develop some things? 
Well, it's, it's interesting. Um, whenever Tesla was working, because I live very close to Pittsburgh, and Tesla was uh, mm. employed at Westinghouse for a bit there, mm-hmm. um, whenever he was in his development phase, J.P. Morgan, you know, he was financing these guys, and he's, you know, he went to Tesla. What do you have? And Tesla told him about how he would be able to bring electricity into the jungles, you know, without running lines and everything like that. And uh, J.T. Morgan asked, J.P. Morgan asked, how are we going to be able to um, to uh, uh, profit on this monetarily? And uh, Tesla said, oh, this isn't for money. This is just for humanity. Mm-hmm. And uh, Morgan then started to finance uh, Edison then <laughs> yeah. because Edison was fine with taking a buck. Um, but could you imagine how this world would have changed if they would not have put that poor guy um, down? Because Obviously, he was doing some pretty amazing things uh, by by all accounts. Whoever whoever you talk to, um, he was doing some pretty incredible things in his experimentations. And uh, I'm sure that his 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 um, his information is out there. Uh, but you have to understand if if it's not going to make money, uh, how much of this would have been suppressed? You know, it's yep. all about money making. All about money making. If it wasn't for the money, yeah, like you said, our world would be completely different. Oh, yeah. Jonas Salk, whenever he came out with the polio vaccine, they interviewed him and they said, you know, how lucrative this could be. And he said, well, you you don't charge for the sun, do you? He said, this has to be something that's free because it helps all of humanity. And that changed the world. At that time, that, that, that type of altruism changed the world as we know it. And now you look at people out there profiting off of inhalers, profiting oh, off of horrible. you know antibiotics and everything else like that. Um, it's it's a real shame how we now view um, sickness and health. If you're rich, you can probably stay healthy, uh, but if you're poor, uh, you know, get ready to to remain sick. Yep, I've always said pharmaceuticals aren't really in the business of uh, getting us better. It's uh, they're in the market of uh, keeping us ill. Oh, one of the the biggest impacts uh, on society would be if they would find a cure for cancer, because the amount of money that would be lost in just the treatment and prevention of that disease, um, you would you know you would th- see things going bankrupt. And I hope, I mean, and I'm sure there are great people out there in research working for a cure. Um, but I think that it would get to the point where somebody would have to almost go rogue Mm -hmm. and say, I've got the cure and not attach themselves to anybody. I think it would really come down to something like that. Yep. Agreed. If someone could actually have uh, enough money, some multi-billionaire who's actually a genius and could, you know, um, come up with all this stuff and doesn't have to worry about money, just bring it out for the people. That's right. Just bring it for the people. That's right. Um, And we think about the idea of money and what it takes to get things funded. Um, All the um, ludicrous things that are being funded, um, you know, let's put that. That's the other thing we should think about as well, too, during this time of isolation. You know, what seems to be important right now would be great if the world would kind of come together and get some of their best minds together and say, okay, let's tackle this together. I would love to see something like that happen. Um, But um, also getting back to the idea of the Gaia theory that we spoke about, um, not only do I think that the world is, is a living, breathing organism, but I also think that everything that harms us 
is out there as a cure someplace. I mean, we probably mm -hmm. uh, mowed it over or burned it up, you know, yep. you know, years ago. That that's a sad thing. Um, but um, in these kind of uh, perfect um, uh, contained um, environment, this kind of contained. Uh, bioculture that we're going through, I really truly feel that anything out there that harms us, that came from this this world that harms us, the cure is out there as well too. Um, and I think that's what we should be looking for as well. I, I really think the idea of this elixir for life, this philosopher's stone, whatever you want to call it, is out there. I'm just hoping that in our infinite uh, stupidity, uh, we didn't uh, burn it up or or shoot it or make it come become extinct. That's one of my yep. fears. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, someone, I had read that many, many years ago saying that with every ailment, there is a cure. Not just something to make us feel more comfortable, but an actual cure. And um, with, you know, the rainforest, how there's so much deforestation there, you know, what are we actually getting rid of? That, that, that's right. You could you could imagine, like, you know, um, talking about uh, a plant like the Venus flytrap that only grows in two places in the United States. I think there's some place in South Carolina and some place in Georgia, very, very limited range for this particular carnivorous plant. And you could imagine that there was a very, very um, small range in the rainforest uh, that we simply burned away. Yeah. It's, uh, it's kind of scary when you think of it. Oh, it is. Oh, it really is. And uh, I, again, you know, that's why I keep on thinking about being mindful. We should always be mindful in everything that we do, um, because it does affect every other uh, every other living creature uh, in this in this creation. Yeah, uh, kind of like the butterfly effect, I guess. You know, exactly like the butterfly effect. That that that's a great analogy. The idea that uh, what happens even to the most minute of our creatures. That, that nothing is here accidentally, mm -hmm. that that everything is supposed to kind of ebb and flow together. Um, I wrote uh, a book uh, last year entitled On Fairies, and uh, that is one of the things that I've come to a conclusion, the idea of this kind of, uh, again, this vibrational force, this synchronization with the world. And the fairy uh, uh, force for so long was this being, this elemental intelligence, that really had that synchronicity going to it. It was on the same frequency as the world around it. And, um, you know, I think that whenever we talk about people having a third eye, you know, this inner perception of the, the, the much more vast reality around them, or people that see fairies, or people that even see ghosts or Bigfoot, mm -hmm. it's very possible that those people are more closely aligned to the, that frequency than other people are. I totally agree on that. I've always, I felt that way for a while, actually. Um, yeah. About the about the fairies, it was interesting. As I mentioned to you the other day, uh, my daughter and I were driving in the car and we, we were listening to you on uh, Spaced Out Radio uh, with Dave Scott. And I listened to the first two hours and um, or the first first couple first little bit of it. And my daughter got the last hour of it. Now she doesn't like to listen to the same shows I do. Uh, so she was kind of a captive audience. We were driving in the car, and I said, well, I'm listening to my show. She really liked it. So when we got to our destination, um, you had the show hadn't been uh, over yet. So when we got back in the car, she goes, are you going to put that show back on? I'm like, oh, yeah, you like that? She's yeah, <laughs> this guy is really interesting. So uh, – Oh, well, I feel very – now I'm blushing, so I'm very flattered. <laughs> Tell me thank you for that. 
I will. No, she uh, she thought you were extremely fascinating, and she was really transfixed to everything that you were saying. And we were having a little discussion afterwards about the fairies. She was watching. She watches some paranormal TV shows, and there was this uh, couple that bought this house, and they were having what they thought was paranormal activity, they, thinking it was ghosts. So they got a, a team to go in, and um, they had a, a, a resident psychic as well. Turns out that it wasn't ghosts, it was fairies, because they cut down a tree in their yard that was just in the way, and after that, thing, the fairies wreaked havoc, because it was their tree. So, That's right. Yep. So yep. she was told it, it, that... So they were told that you need to plant another tree and put milk out to say, I'm really sorry. And once they did that, the activity stopped. And what I I had said before about the idea of everything is interrelated to everything, that simple act of cutting down a tree, you know, um, even as a kid, I felt bad whenever trees were cut down. And there was a weeping willow tree in front of our house in the town that I grew up in. And I love that tree. And I I remember coming home one day from grade school and the tree was cut down because my uncle told my grandmother that weeping willows will somehow attack the pipes and break your Mm. water line, whatever kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So I remember how much I cried because that tree was cut down. Mm -hmm. And I think there's something to be said about that. I mean, we should leave well enough alone. Yep. Um, Granted, this couple had to cut down the tree because it was in the way of something to do with the driveway or something. I don't know. But um, after they found out what really was going on, like I said, they did replant another tree to apologize. But uh, yeah, um, my father always said that if you go to cut down a tree, you should probably plant five other trees as well. Oh, I love that philosophy. Yeah. So if you have to take one thing out, replace it with a multitude of other things. I love that idea. Yeah. Yep. He's also uh, the one that told me, because as a, as a child, we used to go camping an awful lot. And he used to always say, leave the campsite cleaner than when you arrived. So that <laughs> made that made me, re- that I just thought of that when you mentioned something earlier about keeping our planet uh, clean and safe and take care of it for our children. And it just kind of reminded well, me of what my father used to say. That's right. Well, it's interesting because uh, Thor Hyredell, whenever he did his uh, Contiki, um, uh, to see if the Polynesians could actually make it to Hawaii on, um, you know, this kind of reed type of vessel. I guess this was back in the 1960s. I, 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 this just entered my mind or I would have had, you know, more background information on this. Uh, but now remember, though, we're going back over 50 years here. Um, but he said that this is in the South Pacific with really very few people around anywhere because the South Pacific is just such a large, you know, vacuous type of area. But um, even back then, they said they encountered um, some sort of um, pollution in the ocean every single day, some form of garbage every day mm. they came across. That's so sad. It is. It is. And so you can imagine what it will be like now. Oh, jeepers. It would be horrible. It would. Um, and uh, th- that is the thing. One of my favorite things to do with my kids is when we go on vacation, we're not into um, amusement parks and such. We like to do things that involve the natural world. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's usually free, uh, which is a good thing because my family is so large. But um, one of the things that we do, one of the things that we absolutely love is going to the ocean. And, um, you know, just think about the last time you walked along a beach or along the uh, even a lake, you know. 
um, how often do you come across pollution? It's sad. It's a daily occurrence, and we kind of overlook it now. Yeah, my uh, home province in New Brunswick on the east coast of Canada, um, there's a well-known beach there called Pearly Beach. And uh, growing up, that's where everybody went in the summertime was Pearly Beach. And it was kind of a, a wild beach at first. You had like the wild grass and everything. And people started building cottages and it got to be more and more popular over the years. And they built this huge restaurant there and um, concession stands and everything. And it's more... Um, uh, it's it's so much more built up. And over the years, I haven't been home in, in about 10 years, but from what I've been hearing from family and friends is the beach is so polluted now. Uh, it's nothing for them to be out in the water and they'll see a piece of toilet paper float by. And I'm just like, oh my God, and people actually wow. still go to that beach? That's disgusting. Yeah, yeah I, I've been to New Brunswick one time. Um, a few years ago, um, I took my family up to uh, Lubeck, Maine. Mm. And uh, right across the bridge there is uh, New Brunswick. And, uh, yeah, look, we still have wild places on this planet. You know, wild places within an easy drive to cities like Boston and New York City. Mm -hmm. um, even Toronto. You know, Toronto, think about that big, you know, uh, cosmopolitan city up there. Right around that area is is great small towns and great mm -hmm. woodlands and everything. Um, so we still have wild areas. Um, we just need to come to uh, the decision that, that not everything is something for us to use. That we need to practice you know, preservation mm -hmm. more than just this consumption. Yes. Um, again, my father, um, he still says this to this day. If you're out in the forest, you know, or wherever, and you see a pretty flower that you, you know, don't don't pick it because somebody else would like to enjoy that flower later on. So don't be selfish. Just leave it there for nature and. Uh, you know, somebody else can enjoy it. That's right. But don't we as human beings think if we see something beautiful, we need to own it. Or, yes. you know, even the people that hunt, you know, I am going to prove that I am a better man because I'm going to take a larger animal with a larger rack or what have you. And it becomes not something for sustainability. You're not talking about feeding your family. You're talking about a trophy that you yep. can put out and kind of gloat over, you know, that's, this never has happened in the history of mankind outside of like, you know, medieval royalty, whenever mm -hmm. they were, would go on a hunt tracking down something. This has never happened. This worldview that we have is insane that we can look at the world and say, what we have out there is for the taking. Mm -hmm. That's something that's very, very new. Yes. Uh, makes me wonder if uh, some of these hunters, um, maybe someday um, a cryptid will be uh, hunting them. <laughs> uh, you know, wouldn't that be something exactly? Yeah, that that, that will be good karma. You know, yeah. the idea that there's something out there looking for uh, another trophy and they, they try to find the biggest hunter to take down. That's that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I found it fascinating when you were on uh, with Dave Scott on Spaced Out Radio. You had mentioned about... Uh, cryptids and how around the world we have pretty much the same creatures but just with different names and that really caught my attention because as you know um, in college I had to do a, um, um, a presentation to the class in order to finish a particular course that I was taking and um, I chose it on uh, cryptids from around the world and I mentioned that how you know like for example Bigfoot is in North America it's called Yowie someplace else it's called uh, um, 
I can't think of the other names, but you know where I'm where I'm going at. Um, sure. It's just so fascinating because to me, we have you know everyone is so different. Um, we believe our belief systems are, are different around the world, but yet you have all this mythology. And when you look at it, every nationality, every race, every culture has pretty much the same thing. They do. Um, whenever I write my books, I always look at it uh, from the formation of the archetype. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and 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 the philosophy and the psychology of Carl Jung, the idea that the archetype is with us is because it's something that's meaningful to the human consciousness. We as a people need it, not a particular not a particular society, but in general, humanity needs something like this. So I've written books about mermaids, about ghosts and vampires and werewolves and Bigfoot and fairies and all this other kind of stuff. And you know what? Um, Every culture around the world has some form of that particular cryptid or that particular um, creature, uh, and it makes it become an archetype. Uh, absolutely, utterly fascinating whenever we think of it from that perspective. Uh, we, they just go by different names. Uh, but yeah, so uh, that's something to be said, that part of our DNA, what is embroidered into our very DNA, what makes us human, has strands of the monster in it, has strands of the unexplained and the supernatural in it. Um, and you know, even if you don't believe in in creatures that go bump in the night from a psychological point of view this is just as fascinating why we need to if these creatures aren't flesh and blood why we needed to invent them (laughs) and how did every culture around the world invent them the same it makes sense to me as a researcher um that there was not as much invention going on as um encounters with something and uh, that's what really has left this indelible scar on the human imagination that some sometime in our formative years in our shared humanity, we encountered creatures uh, that we simply cannot explain that have become the archetypes that we see today in things like Bigfoot and the werewolf and the vampire. Um, and that's the way I write and that's the way I look at the world uh, in terms of paranormal research, that these things have been with us forever and they've so impacted us as humanity that we carry that imagination with us still. Would you say it's almost like, oh, I can't remember the terminology. Um, oh, is it genetic memory? Is that? You know, yeah. You can have genetic memory. You can have cultural memory. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do believe definitely in this this transmigration of thought and images and things. Um, that is why, like, if we studied Carl Jung, you know, the idea of, like, an earth mother is, it makes sense in all cultures. Mm-hmm. Or the idea of how you obtain knowledge or the hero's quest. All these things are part of our humanity. Um, and whenever we um, take this by extension to the field of the paranormal, um, yes, that, that this that these things impacted us um, to the point that they left a mark in our, not only our genetic memory, like you had said, but also in our cultural memory as well. So we have this faint, like whenever you go into a dark room, 
you're naturally afraid, even mm-hmm. though we live in a, the 21st century and we have lights and everything like that. Uh, we still tend to turn on the lights and we still worry about sounds that we hear at the night mm-hmm. because we have, because those sounds at one time could have meant life or death to us. You know, exactly. that we still have that with us. Um, and I think that we don't realize that kind of stuff that we can fly around the world in one day. We can talk to anybody instantaneously on Facebook. Um, but we're still afraid of bumps that occur at the <laughs> night because we don't know what that might be. Exactly. It, yep. uh, that kind of reminds me of an episode of uh, Star Trek uh, Next Generation when um, I can't exactly remember why it happened, but everyone was de-evolving. Oh, no, I don't think I'm familiar with this. Oh, yeah. Um, one uh, uh, crew member uh, was uh, transforming into um, an arachnid, and uh, some of them were uh, transforming into chimps. And some of the crew members were afraid of the other crew members, and they didn't understand why, but it's because of their primal uh, fear that they're, that was coming back because everyone's de-evolving into different creatures. So that, that kind of, that was a really interesting episode. That is, and it makes you think about that as well, too. Yeah. Um, the idea of evolution and de-evolution. Um, look, a lot of this stuff, like this fear of the darkness and things that go bump in the night, that should almost be a part of our our bodies, almost like the appendix. It's uh, something residual, mm. something that we don't need anymore. Yeah. Um, but you know, we still have this kind of stuff in us. Uh, this 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 fear that there's something in the woods. Their fear of liminal areas, that space in between spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, we still have that as part of who we are as human beings. You know, every place has a forest that we're supposed to avoid, like the suicide forest in Japan, yes. or you know, the the great forest. You know, the uh, uh, the uh, the black forest in Germany. All these great places uh, around the world uh, are places to fear. And isn't it interesting that you know some of our most famous cryptids reside in forests? And you know, it's just I think I really believe from all the research that I've done, you know, going on, you know, nearly 30 years worth of research, uh, it's making me come to the conclusion that when we talk about things like Bigfoot and werewolves and all these great monsters out there, that um, if they don't exist now, they definitely exist sometime within our past. Mm-hmm. I really hope you're right. Well, I guess in a way I hope you're right because some of those creatures are not exactly friendly. Well, that's right. They're not exactly friendly. (laughs) Um, And I think that, you know, uh, until we started to put walls up around our towns and fortify our structures, you know, we were prey animals. It took a long Mm. time to be the apex predator. Um, and, uh, so whenever we look through history, uh, because I'm a, I'm a student of history and I love history so much, uh, but you know, we can find, um, you know, remains of human beings that have been, uh, you know, taken down by large birds. And we know that, you know, we fed upon each other. So the idea of cannibalism and all this kind of stuff is part of our, you know, human closet, you know, the skeleton, our human closet. Um, a lot of bad things have happened to us, and we've done a lot of heinous things throughout our history as well, too. Yep, and this yeah. also builds into the archetype of, of, of creatures and the unexplained and horrible things that lurk uh, about in the periphery looking for, uh, for us as prey. With all the research you've done, what's your favorite um, creature or lore that's really gotten your attention that you're more fascinated with than others? 
Well, I mean, it's always going to be Bigfoot for me because that's something that my mother instilled in me whenever I was very young. You know, she would take me out looking for this creature. Uh, we would go on the back roads. We would go on walks through the woods. A lot of times, I'm sure she did it just so she could spend time with my brother and I. But I think a lot of times she was out there, you know, generally looking for something. She was uh, a young mom. So we're talking about somebody in their late 20s taking out, you know, uh, two boys that were, you know, were eight and six. You know, I, I think that she probably had a great time doing that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, I still do that kind of stuff with my kids. Uh, Bigfoot has always been, I think for everybody, probably gone to the field of cryptozoology because of Bigfoot. Um, but it's one of those things that seems so much like us, yet so different. It's that one thing that is kind of, you know, evades us. It, it's, it's, it's just beyond our grasp. It's so much like us, but yet so different. Uh, one person asked me whenever I wrote uh, my book on Bigfoot, if uh, Bigfoot was my alter ego. And the more that I think about that, he might be everybody's alter ego. He's the mm -hmm. wild man. He's the one that lives without rules. You know, he mm -hmm. doesn't abide by um, civility. You know, he's that wild, <laughs> essential, bestial creature that has a working, functioning mind that he doesn't care what anybody thinks about him. He goes out, does his own thing. Yeah. I think that's pretty much what everybody wants to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you think your mother ever had an experience with Bigfoot and that's why she kept going out looking for it with you guys? Um, you know what? I think that she's had experiences of things that she could not identify. A lot of things with UFOs, I remember her talking, was seeing things that looked like fireballs in the sky before. Mm -hmm. um, I think that she was always very open to the idea that there's something out there that cannot be explained. Um, and, uh, so I think that she probably did have her own little, um, private awakenings, um, some that she shared with us and some that she didn't, but, um, I really think that she, I think she would have been a fantastic researcher. Uh, of course, we didn't have much cryptozoologists back in the day. Mm. Um, and in search of came out, you know, a little bit later after we were doing that kind of stuff. But I think that she could have really made inroads as, you know, a female uh, investigator out there. But, uh, you know, I owe it all to her. Uh, everything that I've accomplished in my life in this field uh, is because of her uh, um, influence on me. So, Oh, that's nice. Yeah, that would have been really great if she could have uh, done getting into the research part like you did. Oh, I know. I, I, I great. Uh, she actually passed away when she was only fifty-five years old. I mean, oh, wow. uh, she would, yeah, she would be about seventy-five years old now. Mm -hmm. And I've often wondered how fun I would, how much fun I would have writing with her now. I would love to be able to work with her as a partner now, uh, but it's unfortunate. But I, you know, I feel that she's looking down. Uh, on me, and I, you know, I still dedicate my books to her because um, without her, I wouldn't have been able to do oh, this. That's nice. Wow, I like that. That makes me feel happy for some reason. I uh, know it, it makes me feel happy too. Nice. Yep. I had heard you mention before that because um, uh, I know you've written quite a bit on fairies, and I, I've heard you mention in a few other uh, interviews that you've done that. Uh, Pretty much the only reason why you got into it is because your daughter had asked you to uh, start writing on fairies because it was interesting to her. And then you thought, yep. wow, this is really fascinating. I, I love that. Yeah. Well, that's actually what happened. Uh, 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 
So I wrote a book called uh, The Unexplained World of the Chestnut Ridge, mm -hmm. which was a lot of my research in this area that I live at right now. So I did a lot of research around here, and it took me you know, about a year to write this book to compile all my research and put it out. And my daughter asked me one day, she said, um, uh, do you think fairies or do you think uh, mermaids exist? I said, I never, you know, considered it much. She goes, you know, you write about all that Bigfoot crap. Why don't you see if, uh, if, if you can find anything on mermaids? And I thought, uh, you know, well, let me start some very cursory, uh, type of, uh, of, uh, research into it to see what I can come up with. And I became fascinated with it. I was going to be one of these people that wrote one book because it's such a, uh, a very, uh, it, it takes a long time. It, mm -hmm. It's a grueling task to write a book. And um, I, I wasn't going to write anything else. I thought I would write this Chestnut Ridge book. It got me some some minor notoriety, and I thought I'll, I'll just stick with it. But uh, she really urged me on to look at um, things on an individual basis. And whenever I started to study the history of the mermaid, I was taken aback. And then that, then after the mermaid book, uh, came my uh, my book on werewolves, and then the Bigfoot book, and then of course the fairy book. But I owe it all to my. I, I think the best influences on my life has always been women, uh, my mother, and now my daughter that really pushed me into digging deeper into the field. Maybe uh, there's a piece of your mother in your daughter. Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt, I think that that's one thing that I was very lucky with. And then my oldest daughter, Devin. Um, she, uh, I remember we went, I went to a conference in, um, in Philadelphia and this was a couple of years ago. And so my daughter was only probably 13 or 14 years old at the time. And, uh, we were on the third floor of this very, very old, uh, mansion, uh, that was built right along the, around the time of George Washington. So definitely before 1799 mm. and, um, uh, somebody came up to the third floor and um, she finally found my daughter, and she went up to my daughter, and she said, "I sensed you whenever you came into the building." And I, you know, I had no idea what was going on. This was kind of startling for me. Mm -hmm. uh, but she said that you know she was um, intuitive, and she felt this psychic presence in the building, and she had to seek her out. And she came to my daughter, and I think that that's one thing that I am lucky with. I think that you know I found myself in the perfect. Um, family with my children because I think that they all have the capability to be open up to this kind of stuff. Wow, yeah, that must have been really scary to hear that at first <laughs> from a stranger. Uh, it, yeah, it was. And then um, uh, she asked my uh, she asked my daughter about the hauntings in the house, and she hmm. said to my daughter, she said, "You know about the spirits in the house." And my daughter said, you mean the children? And the lady said, yes. So my wow. daughter was picking up on things. Now, of course, I, again, I never told her not to develop this any further. Mm -hmm. uh, but for whatever reason, it, it, it wasn't of an interest to her. And I think now it's kind of like probably not even there anymore. But I think that all children are naturally opened up to these kind of things. Yep. And it's just the way they, they uh, uh, approach it later in life. Agreed. Um, first of all, I must apologize. Yes, it was mermaids, not uh, fairies. I uh, I was mistaken. Uh, but yeah, I think all children are so incredibly sensitive. And we're just taught to, uh, you know, note you didn't hear that, note you were dreaming, or it's your imagination, or you don't have an imaginary friend, you know, it's, so we, we, we're taught to That's tune all. it all out. 
That's right. We are, we are definitely, we are indoctrinated and we are educated not to believe in such things. That's very, very sad. Look, as a kid and even now as an adult who's 51 years old, I still want to go to Neverland with Peter Pan and I still <laughs> want to go out into the woods and I still want to, you know, uh, build rocket ships into the sky. I want to do all that kind of stuff because life would be too gosh darn boring if you didn't want to do that kind of stuff. Yep. Yeah. My father always says, uh, I, uh, refuse to grow up. <laughs> I refuse to grow up as well too. You know, yeah. psychology, they have this thing called the Peter Pan syndrome where yep. you want to be a perpetual boy. Yeah. I think that we should all do that. I think that, you know, we would have less stresses at our jobs. I think that the economy as we know would not exist. I think that we would uh, all work 20 hour work weeks and the rest of the time we would be outside playing. I think that the worst thing that ever happened is the industrial revolution. When we took little children out of schools and we put them into factories. That's the worst thing that ever oh, happened yes. in the history of humanity. And then we can start charting the downfall from there. Never thought of that. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, because, you know, I, I have a degree in history. So, like, I'm, I'm not all kind of this kind of uh, a genre type person that, you know, just just focuses on the supernatural. But, you know, the idea of, of, of history Whenever, uh, you know, little girls were taken out of the home from learning things uh, so that they could work in factories and little mm -hmm. kids. Um, and, and this is something that just didn't happen in the Victorian age. I remember a lady telling me a story from the 1900s, from, from about 1920, that her brother, whenever he was told that it was time for him to go work in the mines, he was old enough to work in the mines. She remembers him getting up for work and carrying his, um, his uh, um, uh, lunch pail. And the lunch pail was so big, it was actually dragging on the ground. So put that Aww. in perspective, you know, how sad that is. But yeah, the idea of childhood is a very modern conception. Childhood did not exist much until, you know, the, the very late 1800s, early 1900s. Uh, childhood was seen as just an inconvenient stage preparing this person to go to work. Mm -hmm. And uh, whenever we had the factories fueled up in, in England, and, and it was just a very devastating time for kids. Um, and then we have this kind of resurgence with, um, you know, people writing The Wizard of Oz, people mm -hmm. writing, you know, all this other kind of like, you know, that what we said about uh, the uh, Peter Pan. That's whenever, you know, childhood literature and early adolescent literature comes into play. Uh, but for the most part, you know, if you think back, you know, there was no childhood literature being produced in the Middle Ages or in, you know, the Greco-Roman era because it simply didn't matter. You know, it's not until relatively recently that we took the children. Uh, we didn't take them for granted. We put value into them. And that's uh, something that I, you know, I just want to do as part of my work. Uh, I work along with children. And, uh, you know, children are very special creatures, mm -hmm. and uh, they still have their eyes completely open to this world. For sure. Uh, they have a totally different perspective on everything. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, I don't want to be the person to ever um, uh, stop them from seeing the world that way. Yep. Um, back in the days when they used to say children should be seen and not heard, that, was, uh, <laughs> that must have been horrible back then. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's the thing, you know, uh, uh, because they were um, intrusions, mm -hmm. uh, not until they could uh, go out and, you know, work, you know, 11 or 12 years old. 
uh, or sometimes earlier were they seen. This was uh, early childhood was nothing more than a stage that uh, they had to get through to get to become an adult. Yeah. If you had a chance to go anywhere in the world to do your research, where would you go and what would you research? Um, I would go, um, and people might find this odd, but I um, have a fascination with uh, ocean cryptids, mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the sea monsters. Uh, and I think that I would like to try to go around the areas. Um, I, I would like to say that I would go to someplace warm, but I think I would like to go uh, into Scandinavia, uh, in the North Sea area. I think I would like to try to, you know, to, to look and research into the war a little bit more of uh, the things that were going along up there with the, the Viking ideas of the Kraken and mm -hmm. all these great sea monster stories that came out. And also we have to keep in mind that there's a lot of mermaid mythology that comes out from that area as well, too. So I really like to delve deeper into the idea of these uh, seagoing cryptids. That's interesting. When I was doing a little bit of research for my uh, presentation, uh, it was really interesting for me to find out that even today, there's people around the world that claim that they're seeing uh, mermaids. Oh, it, 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 there was such a uh, furor uh, about mermaids uh, being sighted in Israel. that The Israeli government yes. a few years ago mm -hmm. put out a, a bounty of such on them. And then it led to a whole bunch of uh, this uh, Internet crap with uh, Photoshopping and stuff. But, you know, people still see mermaids all the time. Um, and, uh, and I think that says something to, you know, that we are not completely, um, keeping our eyes closed at what's going on. You know, we're not completely incredulous to the world around us. Hmm. One of the discussions my daughter and I had when we heard you, um, the other day was, uh, when we were talking about, um, ocean creatures and if the, oh, what was it called? That bit, the huge, huge shark. What's that called again? Oh, the Megalodon. Megalodon, yeah. Um, and you were mentioning about, um, we don't know what's at the bottom. So what creature could still be there? There may be so-called cryptids that we call them now. Um, I found it fascinating where you're finding whales and, and large sharks with um, huge, huge suction cup marks all over. Like you, you're finding the torsos of them and you find huge suction cups on them um, that would lead us to believe that huge, huge squid, uh, I, the name escapes me right now, uh, are actually down there. Well, yeah, th that's the thing. Um, you know, when we think about the <clears throat> Kraken or the giant yes. squid, you know, this <clears throat> very fancy, fancy scientific name of Archituthis, you know. That's, yes, that's yes, the that was the name I was looking for. Yeah, yeah the giant squid. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we definitely know that they exist out there. You know, the Japanese have photographic imagery. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we catch them from time to time, so we know they're out there. Um but what we're dealing with here is uh, these very large mega predators out there um, that I think, without a doubt, we could stake some money down that they are, there's something out there still in existence. Now, we might not be alive to claim our, 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 our winnings after this particular <laughs> wage, uh, this particular bet. But um, I think that, without a doubt, anybody would say, even, uh, even the most ardent scientists would say, there's something out there that is not cataloged, doesn't quite beat the eye. Oh, now, for sure. Um, yeah, so, um, yeah, so we're talking about why don't we see these things? Well, what I pointed out in my, my mermaid book is that everything that travels by the ocean emits some sort of sound, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, this is not the age of, uh, of uh, cell travel anymore. Uh, but it's interesting because there was a book written 
and I'm not sure how long ago it was, but these two British gentlemen, I believe they were in the in the military, um, but they wanted to row across the Atlantic Ocean, which is something that I would never think about doing. Um, but you know, these this is a mainstream type of book where these guys were trying to break a record, and there was a a story in there that one night this large head came up out of the water with with eyes the size of dinner plates kind of acknowledged them and went back under the water again hmm. so even yeah so even people <clears throat> who aren't looking out for these kind of things see these kind of things and i think the only way we would have encounters of these things in the modern world is if we're not on something that's producing you know some sort of artifact in the environment like a sonar type of sound or an engine type of sound but i think these things are still out there and i think we can still encounter them i necessarily wouldn't want to encounter them unless it's from a distance <laughs> yes. but i think these things are still out there makes me wonder if there are these super large creatures down there and well we, we know there are but because of all these ships and everything we have noisy oceans because of man so maybe they're just keeping their distance that's all that it would take too mm-hmm. look it's not like hunting for bigfoot in the woods where you have to hide <coughs> in one forest and the ocean has volume Mm-hmm. That's the other thing we don't consider, you know, not only is it vast, but it also has volume. So, you know, something can go seven miles down and go one. Back. So, um, you know, it, they could be in ranges where people just simply don't go into. Mm-hmm. Or my theory is they simply stay out of shipping routes. Yep. You know, there's so much sound in those areas. They, they simply stay away from that sound. The sound probably bothers them. It probably bothers them. They know they're, they're people, and I'm yep. sure at one point, you know, that they've had encounters with people before, and it didn't end up very nice. So yep. they know to stay away from them. Exactly. We all know that once uh, humans are afraid of something, they don't want to. They want to destroy it, not try to understand it. That's right. That's all. That's what happens all the time. Exactly. Yep. Which is very sad, but human nature, I guess. And, We're not all. I think that's- that's our commentary for the day. That's that's the uh, that's the theme throughout the whole entire day. I think so far. Could be. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're at the end already, Ron. You know what? I I, I greatly appreciate this. I, I'm working from home, so unfortunately, I have to uh, return to the tediousness of that. But I am so thankful, and you're such a generous person to allow me to come on in and pontificate and unload and download some of my information and gaining information from you as well, too, which I absolutely love to have our conversations. But again, Kat, I am absolutely flattered that you asked me to be on your show. One of my favorite people in the entire world, and I cannot wait to do this again. Oh, thank you so much. Yes, we'll definitely have you on again. And I really appreciate you taking the time from your busy work day, you know, where you're working at home to take a few moments and uh, have a nice chat with me. Always, Cad. You can always count on me. Awesome. Thank you, Mr. Crypto Guru. <laughs> I, I love that. <laughs> I do too. Good old Dave Scott. I, yes. I love it too. <laughs> well, thank you so much. And um, I will be adding, folks, I'll be adding, as usual, some um, in the show notes links where you can find Ron. Uh, but before I do that, or oh, cheapers, I may really have a hard time with my uh, my uh, speaking abilities today. Maybe, like you said, it's because I've been home for too long. <laughs> I think that's it. I absolutely think <laughs> oh, so. Good it. grief. Um, why don't you tell us where you can be found? Um, you can find me uh, on Amazon. 
Um, you can, and that's really the best. Um, the websites that I use, I'm not as active on websites as I should be. Um, really, if anybody wants to get in touch with me, they can go inside the goblin universe at gmail.com. That's my, that's my personal email address. You can get in touch with me. You can find me on Facebook under Ronald L. Murphy Jr. Um, if you want to get a book, you can go on Amazon, or if you contact me directly, I can even sign it for you and send it out to you. But um, yeah, so those are the best ways to get a hold of me, either through social media or through directly through uh, the uh, good old um, internet machine there on email. <laughs> Perfect. Again, I'll be adding those links in the show notes, so it'll be easy for everyone to just click and contact you. I, I would love I love any kind of interaction I can get from people, so I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. Thanks so much again, Ron, and you take care. Be safe out there. Hey, you too. We'll talk to you very soon. For sure. Bye-bye. Well, we've made it to the end of another episode. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, take care of each other. And if you'd like to be on the show or have questions and comments, just drop me an email, paranormalheart13 at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Paranormal Heart would like to extend a special thank you to purpleplanet.com for supplying the music for the show. The views and opinions expressed on Paranormal Heart are those of the host and participants. 